whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Danielle. Am I on? All right, great. Good morning, everyone. Uh, again, want to welcome all of our guests. Uh, my name is Amari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central. Uh, and um, as I thought about this text that you just heard this morning and thought about this season that we're about to enter, uh, which is Easter, it's just around the corner, I thought about a, a pleasant childhood memory that I had. And as a kid, I like to watch a lot of movies and cartoons, as I'm sure a lot of you did. One of my favorite movies was Indiana Jones. Now, and I don't just mean like, you know, of course there's four movies now, which the fourth one, let's just forget that ever happened. But this, the, the trilogy, <laughs> uh, and, and there's a second one, which is the Temple of Doom, which was, for me, was my favorite one, the, the Temple of Doom. How many of you remember that? Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, right? Yeah, a lot of Gen Xers and such in here. It's great. So, listen, um, there was some stuff in that movie that was ethnically inaccurate, and uh, some of the depictions of Asian Americans in that movie, um, come on, Steven Spielberg, you got it wrong there. And, you know, you're from an oppressed people, too, Steven. You know, you should have got that right. Um, but he, he kind of messed that one up. But there is this part, right, if you remember, where there's this, there's this priest of this cult, and he's taking out people's hearts and all that kind of stuff. And I, now I think back, I'm like, how did I watch this as a kid? It's so gruesome. Somebody reaching to somebody's chest and taking hearts out. Uh, but, but, the, but this priest, right, he's taking out the, the heart from people's chest for this, this ceremony so he can get more power. And as I'm watching it as a kid, I'm clutching my chest because I can feel it. The pain of, you know, and this guy's just, you know, he's sitting there and he's crying out and he's like chanting and trying to get to a happy place before his heart gets ripped out of his chest. 
And, uh, you know, and the priest just does it, and he, you know, he starts screaming, and he's still alive, and he's holding the heart and everything. And I can just feel it, like, oh, gosh, I'm cringing, and then I want to see more. What's going to happen next? Right? Um, but there's this, there's this empathy that I had as a kid. Now, scientists will say that what was going on in my mind as I watched that movie was just uh, something going on in my mirror neurons that, you're, that are uh, written into my my nervous system, into our nervous system, and that those mirror neurons were simply firing off. And that's, that means that we are softwired, in a sense, to experience empathy with other people. Right? It's, it's sort of in our bodies. It is written into the way that we are composed as human beings. Empathy, according to research, is grounded in our very nature. It's grounded in who we are. And we've just gone through a couple of, we went through seven chapters of Daniel, if you've been with us for a while. And if you recall that one of the, the huge themes from the book of Daniel is that God is the king of kings and that he sets up kingdoms that he wants and he can take down kingdoms when he wants to. And we saw the kingdom of Babylon and how that was set up. And then we saw the kingdom of the, the Medes and the Persians being set up. And then from these visions that Daniel had, you saw that there would be other kingdoms which would come. And then eventually, God's kingdom would come. And God's kingdom would take over the entire earth. And all these other kingdoms that are not only ruled by men, but cause destruction and leave mayhem and darkness in their wake would be replaced by a kingdom of light and life and holiness and peace, and healing. And there's something in us that wants that. But if we're honest as a part, there's also something in us that doesn't want that. Like, we don't want God to come in and take over. There's something in us, if we're honest with ourselves, that doesn't always want God's agenda for our lives. We, do we necessarily want God to move in and start changing things and calling the shots? So as we have gone through the, the book of Daniel, and we've seen that God is in control of history, and if his kingdom is coming, it's going to come, and there's really nothing that we can do about it. It's either like we either get on board, or we just kind of say, well, look, we, we, we try to resist the whole deal. This morning, I want to address some of that resistance that we may have in our hearts toward God's kingdom, toward God's kingdom for our world, his agenda for us. Are we ready for that? Because next week we're going to have, uh, we'll be into uh, what is traditionally called Holy Week. The next Sunday is Palm Sunday, right? And not to steal thunder from anything that Pastor Howard is going to bring ne next week, but you know that Palm Sunday is when, that traditionally when we celebrate when Jesus would entered into Jerusalem and people were expecting the Messiah to come and they're like, oh, wait, this must be him, right? Hosanna, the son of David, right? And um, so there's this big celebration. Come back next week, you get more details on that. But so are we ready for what God is going to do, for what he is going to bring into our world through the one that he has chosen to rule our world? How can we, so let me reframe this, let me ask this in another way. How do we get to the place where we can empathize with God's agenda for our world? Where we can actually empathize with him. Because John, if you read his gospel, at the very end of it, 
He, he says, he makes this bold statement. He, he says, look, I want you to believe that Jesus is the one that God has sent so that you can have eternal life, right? This is the one that if you would entrust all things to him, then he will give you abundant life. So how do we get to the place then where we begin to empathize with God's agenda of life for us and for all of humanity? Now, I think that this scripture shows us that we, uh, that there, there are two things here that we see through the one that God has sent to bring this kingdom, who is Jesus, this king. Two gestures that Jesus makes. And these two things are pretty clear, I think, as you read this text, if you look over it a couple of times. One, it's the tears that Jesus cries. The tears he cries. But then there's a second thing that if you're careful, if you're not careful, you can miss it. It's the risk that Jesus takes. So two things here, two gestures that Jesus makes that I believe will help us to begin to empathize with God's agenda for us and for all of humanity, the tears of Christ and the risk that he takes. Now, look with me back at verse 4. Take a look at this here. Because Jesus, Jesus didn't have to cry when he came on the scene and heard that his friend Lazarus had died. He, he didn't have to shed any tears. Right? We, we, we didn't have to have that, what many have called the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, and it has impacted so many lives, and some impacted some of you too. We didn't, we didn't have to have that there. Jesus didn't have to cry, because look at what happens here in verse 4. It says, when Jesus heard about Lazarus, right, uh, and he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In other words, he knew about Lazarus' future. He knew what eventually what would happen. So he didn't have to cry, right? But this would-be king over all of humanity is empathic. He has an empathic love, a true, deep empathy for us and for all of humanity. A lot of you know the author and speaker, Brene Brown. She's one of my favorites. Um, she says that when, when she talks about empathy, she says that it never begins, empathy never begins with at least, right? So uh, I lost my job. Well, at least you still have your health and strength, right? Uh, Lazarus died. Hey, Mary, at least you still have Martha, right? And but Brown says, I don't, I don't even know. She says that the, the, probably the best response in a moment of crisis when somebody comes to you with, with trouble like this, it's to say, I don't even know what to say right now, but I'm glad that you told me, right? And she says this, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Connection. Do you hear that? That Jesus is connecting with Mary in her darkest hour. He's connecting with her. Now, there's this... Um, artist, uh, James Tussaud, and he has this work of which you see the depiction here on the screen called Jesus Wept. Very plain, self-explanatory. And uh, I think right now it's still at the Brooklyn Museum. And he's got other pieces that he's made looking at the ministry, of, ministry and life of Jesus. Now this is, it's beautiful. Right? And you see Jesus there weeping, right? And presumably Mary is nearby and the others who have lost and have lost Lazarus or concern for him or concern for his family are also there. And you, what you see is 
Mary and the others kind of waiting for Jesus to kind of finish with his crying, right, to kind of get through it a little bit. And they're just like, wow, you know, maybe a little confused, like, man, you know, he's, he's really broken down. What do we do? How do we comfort him? I think probably a better depiction here, if we really want to be faithful to the text, would probably be to see all of them sort of hugging each other, embracing one another. But still, I think this is an, it's an excellent um, piece of art. And I think it, because it really captures this single thing, that Jesus is deeply moved. Jesus, he's, he's deeply moved by our struggles. He's deeply moved by the, the, the pain that we experience. He's deeply moved by the tears that we cry in the darkness when no one else is there and no one else is able to comfort us. He is deeply moved by these things. He's deeply moved by systemic injustice, as we'll see here in just a couple of minutes. But commentators have argued about why Jesus is crying. Like, well, why is he doing it? What's going on here? Some say it's because uh, if you read in the text there that there may have been some doubt in Mary's voice, you know, when she came to him, like, you know, uh, so maybe that's made him sad, or it's the death of his friend. And so Jesus is weeping. Maybe it's the threat on his own life that that's, he's had to experience for such a long time up until this point. And that threat's about to escalate here uh, later on in his story. Or maybe it's because he's angry at death itself. Now, I think it's all of the above. I think all these things are happening because this is the Son of God, the one who draped the universe with the stars and the nebula, the one who can measure out the square footage of every single planet in the universe, the one who has trained birds to sing, the one who has taught fish to leap and blew his very breath into mankind. And he's watching death have its way over everything, all of it, and all of us. And Jesus weeps bitterly because for him, it's personal. It's personal, right? It, now, again, some of, some of us want this. Some of us want this Christ, this Jesus, this Messiah who is personal and who will weep for us and who will be by our side and, 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 and can empathize with us. And what wouldn't we give to be able to experience that kind of connection with the Son of God in the midst of our suffering? And then there are others who would presume to see right through this whole thing, right? Because, I mean, look what happens here. Just like these other people, like, wait a minute. Couldn't this same, look, verse, verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Right? Jesus wouldn't have to cry if he had just showed up on time. Mary wouldn't be weeping. Right? Mary, don't you weep. Martha, don't you moan. It wouldn't have to happen. That song wouldn't have been written if Jesus had just showed up on time. Right? So, right, it's like he, he's crying. Uh, he's like wasted tears. Maybe crocodile tears. Come on, Jesus. Boo-hoo. That's nice. You weep with us. But you had the power to do something. You could have showed up before the divorce happened. You could have showed up before I got fired. 
You could have showed up before I lost my child. Right? You, you could have showed up before my quarter life or midlife crises started spiraling out of control. You could have showed up, God. But now you want to weep? Now you want to empathize? Now, at this time? Come on. You see how even his tears can breed cynicism within us. Why should we want to expect then this king, this person, to come and rule over us and take over the agenda for all of humanity? This God, this guy, I don't know him. Verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Captain Obvious, right? <laughs> Lazarus has died. And he says he didn't show. He didn't show up on time because somehow Lazarus' death was supposed to glorify God. Somehow deepen their faith. Come on, Jesus. I thought Lazarus was your boy. And you let him go through that? And what about us? See, is the belief in Jesus really worth the pain? Is it really worth it? Um, if following Jesus equals suffering, then some of us would rather not do it. Let's not do it. Forget it. But before we take that leap, let me just remind us of one thing, of one solid truth. <laughs> I, and I, I believe that... Uh, Pastor Howard said this was his last week. Um, oh, he was there. There he is. Was it last week or two weeks ago that uh, you said that there's this, this is a statistic that one out of every one person dies? You know, right? Um, you know, 100% of us die. But, and let me, say this, uh, let me say it a different way. There's no such thing as a pain-free life, whether you're religious or not. Doesn't matter if you subscribe to a religion and you say, oh, this thing is a bunch of Tom Foolery, I got hoodwinked, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to have this real comfortable life. You know, it's like, what, what's the use of religion? Well, what's the use of not having a religion? You're still going to have pain in your life, right? So, but what Jesus offers is deep meaning for a life that is not always good. And let me unpack that here for a little bit. Because we see this here with the second sign of his empathy. We see that as, as we suffer, as we go through life and experience the pain of living on this side of glory, that there is some kind, somehow, some way, deep meaning for us as we struggle through life, as we make our way year after year. With the second sign of God's empathy, and we see it in Jesus, it's the risk that he takes. Look at verse 7 with me. Well, let me start at, uh, I'll start at verse 5 again. Uh, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, listen to this, Rabbi. The Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Do you see what they're asking? Like, Jesus, you've been threatened. Right? You're, 
you're persona non grata, like throughout the entire countryside. And you're going to go into the city where it's going to be really easy to find you, where they're going to have like, you know, the, the closed caption television and, and, and the, you know, internet and people can follow folk on the app and they're going to catch you on the phone and stuff like that and blast you on YouTube and Facebook Live. And all of a sudden, oh, now we really know where Jesus is. We're going to go get him. It's like, are you going to go to Jerusalem when your life is in danger? Really? You're going to go near Judea for Lazarus? For Mary, for Martha, and put your life at risk? Why would you do that? All the disciples, they knew at this point that when Jesus said that he was willing to go back, that he would do a miracle, more than likely, and that that miracle was going to draw attention to himself. His life is already in danger. And if he performs a miracle, everybody is going to know. He's not going to be able to hide anymore. Jesus' empathy, his empathy, drove him to put his life on the line. Not only for Lazarus, but also for us. Right? I mean, we, we suffer. We go through hard times. Why? I mean, it, we always ask the why question, and the answer is always the same. I think as we, as we struggle with it, we just... We're constantly asking the question because it doesn't feel good and it's terrible. I'll be the first one to say I hate suffering, right? Nobody likes it. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, hey, I'm, I, you know, I want to suffer today. It's going to be great. You know, it's just going to give God glory. Isn't it going to be awesome? Like, nope. Nobody, who, who says that, right? Um, but why? Why do we suffer? Because the first human beings turn their back on our creator. Right? It's, it's plain as day if you believe the scriptures. If you, and I say if you believe the scriptures, that, that because the first humans turned their back on our creator, they were cursed, and that curse was spread throughout all of God's creation, which includes all of us. They sinned by putting God in the passenger seat of their lives, right? Not necessarily putting God in the back seat, saying, hey, you know, I got this, but kind of like, it was more like God is my co-pilot kind of living, right? We got to be careful with that. God is my co-pilot. What? Nah. You know, you need to be more like Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel, right? Um, you know, just God is my co-pilot. Man. Yeah, you know, you just be there and kind of navigate from time to time. Tell me what I need to do, where I can go to prosper. And I'm, I'm, but I'm going to drive this whole deal. And what happened was, our lives were turned into a hot mess, right? As we know, sin and death became the norm for us. That is why we suffer. And so the basic problem with the world is not disease and distress, but it is the dysfunction of our own hearts that seeks to put God outside of his rightful place. So it's, it's, it's not enough uh, uh, that... that, that uh, 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 for, for us to try to save Papaw and, and, and others that we love from, from cancer. I mean, that, not, that, that's good. That's very important. But it's not enough. It's not enough for us to sort of raise up a compassionate elite among us, right? The, those who, are, you know, who go through some of the, the best universities and have some of the best networks and then begin to leverage their power, you know, for the voiceless and the powerless. Yes, we need that, but that, that's not enough. We need 
the light of the world to connect with our world so that we can walk in the day always, that we can walk in God's light always and not stumble in evil and suffering. What you have to notice here is that Jesus is doing something bigger than what Mary or you and I could ever imagine. He's doing something much bigger. Because this isn't the first time that God has wept. This isn't the first time that he's made a sacrifice over his world. Um, do you remember, if you're familiar with the scriptures, do you remember the story of Noah? Do you remember the lack of empathy that was there within humanity? And the scriptures say that, that people woke up ready to, to just do evil, that, that violence was in the, you know, it was this sort of, I, I forget the, the exact language, but it's, it's very graphic and poetic. It's like almost violence was in their eyes. It was just their agenda, like just waking up wanting to, to do something that would harm someone else. That, 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 uh, that generation of humanity had become so dark that it says that it, it drove God to the point where he was sorry that he had made us. Now, 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 let's understand this correctly. This doesn't mean that God was you know, looking over us and just was just like shaking his head, mm, 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 you know, just dag, you know. Why, these people are terrible. You know, I, I, can't, I can't stand to look at them. I can't stand whatever. Um, but his heart was broken. His heart was broken. Because scriptures also testify that humanity is the crown of his creation. And when our hands are filled with blood because of how we treat one another, and when they're filled with, with unhealthy and unholy things because we lift up our hearts to, to idols, to things that weren't meant to be God in our lives, God looks and his heart is broken. And he weeps and then Inside, he said it was, he was sorry. Like, this has to change. My people, what has happened to you? Do you hear God's heart for us? And this was in the time of Noah. And then what he did was, if you recall, what he, what he did was he, he decided to take one family to keep humanity going. He, he responded with judgment, yes, but by saving one family. And he took this family, and you all know the whole thing about the ark and so forth and so on. But, but then, hear this. Jesus' tears are not wasted on us because what God is about to do through Jesus is not just redeem humanity or keep humanity going through one family, but he responds with judgment not on humanity, but on one person, his son. God responds to our tragedy with judgment on his one and only son. Now, there's something that I saw recently that I think kind of helped me clarify this, and I just saw it the other week. Don't worry, no spoilers, no spoilers, but the movie I'm thinking of is Us. No spoilers here, I won't, I won't, won't ruin it if you haven't seen it yet. 
But if you, but if you recall, if you've seen this, or if you just look at a quick review, there's, there's, there, are these, there are these folks. There's the tethered and the untethered. And the tethered are the folks who live below, in darkness, who are groping and groveling about just for scraps and living with collective trauma in the darkness, un unable to find the light, unable to be free and to live life as, as they're supposed to live, unable to experience true dignity, the, the tethered. And then there's the untethered, the folk who live above and have somehow achieved a, a, middle, a peaceful and happy middle-class existence and are completely oblivious as to what's going on with the tethered below. And they, they live in the light and they have freedom and they're able to make choices and to somehow grow as human beings and experience prosperity and experience some level of shalom that is peace with each other. And meanwhile, meanwhile, there are folks still forgotten and marginalized who are groveling about for their own dignity. And it seems that maybe the only way that their dignity can be recovered, and not just theirs, but ours, depending on where you see yourself, as those above or those below, the only way that our dignity can be recovered is either through violence or maybe just unending acts of uh, altruism. Right? That, I mean, that, that may be the only way in which these two people groups, these two folks, those who are, those who are untethered and those who are tethered can maybe unite you know, and, and maybe come back together. It's only through the blood, sweat, and tears of violence or maybe just the blood, sweat, and tears of sort of nonprofit work or, uh, uh, or, or doing a little bit of sacrifice here and there, that sort of deal. That work for us and them is always incomplete. But God reminds us that the great drama of life is not only us and them. It is us and him. And what God does, because he is rich in mercy, he who is holy and who is full of life and is seated above, as he has said, he who is untethered from sin and death, he who is from above, remembered those who are oppressed by the idols below and remembers those who are oppressed by sin and death and suffering and those who are rummaging in the darkness because of their pain and those who are rummaging around and groveling, unable to find an answer to what really ails them. And they're, they're groveling around in disgust, searching for God and who knows what. But on Calvary's Hill, we see Jesus spreading his hands, not just across America, but across all of the world, and he empathizes with us as his hands are spread and nailed to the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you become untethered from me? Jesus was untethered from the Father so that he could be tethered to us. To us. Do you see the majesty of the king that God has set in place for us? Do you see the majesty of this king that God is going to bring so that we can experience his agenda fully and forever, eternally in our world and in our lives? Because it, it, is, it, is, it is one thing to see a human being weeping and suffering for someone else. That's a beautiful thing when you see that. And when you've experienced it, you know it is wonderful. And, but again, the research shows that we're, we're kind of soft-wired for that. 
because software to, to practice empathy. Some of us practice it more than others. I mean, there, there are levels of it, right? But none of us would go as far as where, where Jesus went. Like, oh, we wouldn't do that. And then if anyone did something like that, they would be insane. Right? You'd be like, this, this person is crazy. You gotta, why would you go to, the, go to the cross? You're thinking you're paying for somebody's sins? Like, who can pay for the sins of humanity? Only God can. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. It is God himself that we see weeping for us and weeping with us. It is God in Christ Jesus who gives his life to recover us from death. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. How, how, how does this how does this change us? How does this get us to the place where, 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 where Thomas and Mary end up in this story? See, I think it's this way, that the more that we rest on God's empathic love for us through Jesus, the more we'll be able to sing like Thomas, let us also go, that we may die with him. Hey, out of love for Christ, We'll want to be living sacrifices, as Paul says, and join him in his current mission for our world. We'll be willing to put ourselves at risk, to put our reputations at risk, to put our riches at risk for the spiritual and cultural renewal of our neighbors. But Jesus says, he who is forgiven little loves little, but he who loves much has been forgiven much. He made that plain, didn't he? See, we, we, we have to connect with something within us that then frees us to connect with the emotions of others around us. And that's hard because our empathy can only go but so far. I mean, those of you know, you, you know this, right? I mean, those of you who are parents, when, 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 you know, the, your kids, sometimes you have to tell them no or not now, and they start crying. And you're like, I'm not empathizing with that. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I, I, I can't go there with you. It's just like, you know, go on. You know, that's it. And, and, and then, you know, come on. Like, here we are, and we talk about being a, a church where we're seeking diverse relationships, diverse community. Come on now. When, I mean, the path to becoming woke, that's some hard stuff. I mean, you, you, I mean, you start walking with different people and their struggles. I mean, as a man... And you try, to, you try to put yourself in her shoes, and then after a while, your feet start hurting. You know what I'm saying? Metaphorically speaking, and sometimes for real. But, you know, and, and then eth ethnically, right? I mean, we try to be there and understand uh, the experience of minorities and the experience of, uh, you know, the majority culture and stuff like that. And, you know, what it's like to be in their shoes. And, but yet, when things start getting hard, that empathy starts to wear out. The tank gets low. Where do we get the strength to keep going? See, like, look at Mary. She says, she, she prays, 
Lord, if you had been here. Right? And that's what we need to be able to do. If we understand, we truly believe God's heart for us, if we believe that he really has an empathic love for us, then we can also, in prayer, or even grabbing others who will be around us, to say, to go to the Lord and just say, Lord, if you had been here, I, I, I'm weak now. This, this pain, this is too much. If you had been here, to, to say, I, I'm doubting. I, I don't really get this right now. I don't have the strength to believe. All I just know is what was brilliantly sung for us by our praise team is just, I, I, I have to. I just, I don't know. But Lord, help my unbelief. Because if you had been here in the midst of my doubts, if you had been here, oh God, and, and to be able to go to your king who weeps over you, to bring your tears before him, and to say, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to make it through, but all I know is you have to go with me. And if you go with me, I can make it. That, that, that's it. I mean, we, we've, we've got to be just like, just like Mary does here. I mean, because if we're able to do this, to trust the one whose love is complete for us, then it will begin to, to shape us, to depend on God instead of, uh, of things that, that can't carry that burden, right? It, it helps us to depend on God and depend on his people rather than on, on places and different, different people that we want to place above God's redeemer, the one that he has sent to, to save us. And if we would learn to depend on God's empathic love for us, it would also shape us to be near the pain of other people, especially during times when we are least likely to do it. The more we rest on God's empathic love for us through Jesus, in prayer, and in community, the deeper we'll connect with those around us. The deeper our solidarity with them will become. For our King has forgiven us, and he connects us to him in our brokenness. So let us seek solidarity with the lover of our bodies and our souls and do his will while we wait for his kingdom to come. Becoming empathic with God and becoming empathic like God will be hard. It will be tough. But because Christ's tears were not wasted, neither will ours. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you so loved the world, that you gave your only begotten Son. We thank you, O oh God, that even right now, you are ready to hear our pain. That yes, there's a, there's a wonderful holiday coming with bunnies and chocolate and Easter eggs and all kinds of stuff, but life is real, God. Things get hard. We suffer. And we long for a loophole, some way to get out from underneath what we are suffering and what weighs us down. Thanks be to God that you have made a way for us through your son. 
But it's not just, God, that you have opened up a path and you say, walk on it. But you actually come to us and you say, walk with me. Follow me. I'm going to bring you out. God, we pray that you would help us. No matter where we are right now, some of us are at 100%. I mean, we with belief right now. Some of us, like the tank is so empty, so empty, God. And yet we need you to fill us. Show us again just how deep your empathy is for us, that you mean nothing but good for us. And if you would do that, Lord, then we could learn how to trust you once again or even for the first time. And our hearts would be broadened and open, Lord. We would be willing to risk all kinds of things, to, to experience solidarity with others around us who are marginalized and oppressed and suffering in ways that we could never even imagine. And God, we pray that you would do this in us to bring yourself glory. For the love that we desire is the love that you display. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you for being with us now. We pray that you would lead us, continue to bring us closer to yourself. Tether us to yourself throughout the rest of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.